Hello everyone and welcome again to Borders Blatherings, the podcast in which we shine a light on the curious, shadowy and often very magical history of the Scottish Borderlands, although I don't know how magical it's going to be today, Mary. I'm joined as ever by historian, author and archivist Mary Craig. And as ever, I'll be depending on her knowledge to walk us through today's topic. But before we get into today's instalment, Mary, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not bad. Not bad at all. Thanks for asking. Um, as the first snowdrops begin to appear, mm-hmm. and as it looks like we are slowly moving out of enforced lockdowns, mm-hmm. and perhaps measures such as physical distancing uh, are being uh, changed. I refuse to use the word social distancing. I think that is the (laughs) consequence of much of what the current conservative government are doing. Um, I'm reflecting on how people have spent their lockdown time. Mm -hmm. Some people have spent that time writing, self-improving, there's so much on social media about new recipes one can cook, and and even things like home improvement, uh, furnishings and fabrics. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe some people may have spent a lot of that time fabricating the truth. Ah. Who knows? <laughs> but as you always say, Mary, we do history, not politics. Indeed. So how have you spent your time during lockdown? Oh, that's a question and a half. Uh, I've been doing a lot of writing Mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of reading. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who are great readers and I've been introduced to lots of new writers, uh-huh. which I've really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I've just finished a book by Vasim Khan, an amazing book called Midnight at Malabar House, set just after the partition in India of a young woman, first uh, female Indian police officer, who has to investigate a very murky political murder mystery. So I've been doing things like that, discovering new writers. Excellent, excellent. And I, I've spent time in addition to doing language training over Zoom, house party, teams, <laughs> <laughs> and other things. I've done a bit of writing myself. We're writing a few short stories for my own benefit rather than, like you, for publication. I've also been listening to a lot of my old albums from the 60s and 70s. Okay. So I wanted to start by reading to you. Not singing, you'll okay. be pleased in here. <laughs> the opening lines to one of my favourite songs. This is a song by Neil Young, and it's called Cortez the Killer. Mm. And it goes like this, I-, I shall speak. He came dancing across the water with his galleons and guns, looking for a new world and a palace in the sun. For anyone unfamiliar with this song, I would say... Search it out and listen. It's both poignant and beautiful. It's a song that has on occasion moved me to tears. Mm. And Cortez the Killer, of course, is a reference to Hernan Cortez and the conquering of the New World. Mm-hmm. Where are we? 16th century. Early 16th century. And although in popular history, Hernan Cortez, the finger is pointed at him, He's the man responsible for the destruction of the Aztec Empire and so on. Would it not be fair to assume that it was in fact the disease that 
he and the conquistadores that came with him that played a major part in the destruction of the Aztec Empire. I'm thinking particularly smallpox, which was unknown in that part of the world until their arrival. Yeah, unwittingly. Yeah. There are some strange players in history, and I had a friend who did a PhD, and she did a PhD about the weather and how the weather can affect history in a way that we don't think of. And again, disease can really affect... Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think of somebody doing something and they unwittingly bring smallpox into a population that's never seen it before and, the, you know, the population is just devastated. Yeah. And the the conquistadors, you could say, took advantage of that, but it wasn't as if they went across. It wasn't, you know, biological warfare or anything like that. Correct. Yeah, disease yeah. Yeah. causes major, major shifts in, in history. And, and that's true. My many years in Turkey, in, 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 especially when I lived in Cappadocia, you have the ancient village of Hattushash, which was the centre of the great Hittite Empire, an empire that's largely forgotten in history mm -hmm, because yeah. of the Greek and Roman empires, for example. But the weather played a big part in, in, in wiping them out. Absolutely, as well. yeah. So, Mary, that was my rather long-winded and circuitous journey into today's topic, mm -hmm. where we are going to spend 20 minutes or so talking about what I know as the Black Death. Mm -hmm. Are we now? Because yes. I'm not talking about the Black Death. You're you might not. be, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure our listeners will be, when I say the Black Death, they're going, yes, yeah. 14th century, killed yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it's relevant given the pandemic forward slash endemic times we're living in now. Mm -hmm. Um so I wanted to really talk today about the Black Death, its impact on this part of the world mm -hmm. in, in social terms, in political terms, in economic terms, and in religious terms. Is that okay with you? Yeah, we that's absolutely that. fine. If we can just get the name right, maybe. Uh, okay, so what's the problem with <laughs> the Black Death? <laughs> the Black Death is properly known as the Great Pestilence uh -huh. in the 14th century. It was renamed the Black Death in about the 17th century. And the name the Black Death, of course, is much more evocative. And so it's stuck. So I will let you off the hook. But that's all that's it is. Small. It was is really this Dutch actually. by any chance, the Black Death? Was this a Dutch renaming? Um, not that I'm aware of, although it does have Dutch connections. Uh -huh. Because it was when William of Orange came across... That's what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> of course, you didn't you know, get me there. <laughs> uh, um, of course, there was a resurgence of the bubonic plague at that time. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, it got renamed as the Black Death because of the, the blackish-coloured buboes that people had in their armpits. Okay. But the one that we are talking about, the first one, the one that people think of, is properly more known as the Great Pestilence. Okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> so there we go. Um... Roughly, because you know I'm not big on figures, but roughly, what this is the 14th century. We're, 14th we're, century, roughly. Yes. There's no such thing as just the Black Death. Then is what you're saying. It's the Great Pestilence, and it's it's not a period of time. It's rather a progression. Would that be right? Possibly, yeah. But I mean, the Great Pestilence sort of pitches up around about 1346 and lasts until about. Oh, maybe lasts for about 10 years, then it goes away and it comes back and it goes away. So the, the, the 14th century, there are about three or four that we know of instances of the Great Pestilence. But the one we're talking about is the one right in the centre of, okay. of that century. That, that's absolutely great because I, it's not that I'm confused, but just prior to that, there's been the Great Famine yeah. as well, which has made a lot of people feel a wee bit pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so I, you, you've got me, that's, that's in the right place. So I thought we could just maybe take this one by one. I imagine that there were social, economic, and religious consequences in this part of the world. Shall we look at them one by one? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there, there were massive changes. So okay. yeah, let's, let's, let's unpack this. Let's unpack that. Um, can we start with what were the social implications or the social impacts in this particular part of the world? Well, I think we need to start with how it arrived. Okay, so, let's do that. Um, now, there are various people you can blame for the Great Pestilence. You could blame maybe Philip of France, or you could blame oh. Robert the Bruce, <laughs> or you could blame a 22-year-old boy. Who do, who do you want to pick on today? Okay, so... I don't want to pick on the French, because that seems to be something we're still living <laughs> with. We're still doing. We're still doing. <laughs> okay. If in doubt, pick on the French. <laughs> right. As you know, the Plantagenet family... Basically, that's who we can blame. Okay, I've okay. got it. We're blaming a dysfunctional family, because that's what it all comes down to. So, okay. the Plantagenet family rule France and England... Yes. ...and spend their entire time fighting with each other. Okay, so you've got Edward III's in England, and you've got Philip is in France and they're fighting with each other. And this is, you know, the start of the, the Hundred Years' War and yep. you've got Cressy and all this sorts of things. Right, so previously, Robert the Bruce had made an alliance with France. So Scotland and France had the old alliance. At which point, if England picked on either of them, the other would come to their aid. Yes. So that's fine. Then you get to 1346 and Robert the Bruce is dead and his young son, David II, is about 22 years old at this point. And France and England are fighting each other. And he decides it'd be a good idea to attack England in the rear because obviously all the English troops are across in France and there's Cressy mm. and all these battles going on. So being a 22-year-old idiot, he decides to charge across the border, which he does to Battle of Neville's Cross, and gets captured. So, fine, he's captured and the English just go laughing and take him all the way down to London. Mm -hmm. At which point the Scottish lords go, oh, we're going to see what we're going to do with this. So they sit around for a couple of years and then it gets to 1348 and they think, oh, I suppose we better go and rescue the king, sort of type thing. <laughs> so they come down and the troops gather in Selkirk Forest in the borders. Now, Selkirk uh -huh. Forest okay. was a massive stretch of land. It's basically all of the borders, yeah. just for ease of understanding. So they're sitting there trying to gather. At the same time as this is happening, way over in Russia, there are fur trappers trapping muskrats and various animals who have little fleas upon their backs to bite them. Now, I'm getting my defence in early. I'm not a scientist. So all the scientists listening can yell at me when I get this wrong. But <laughs> right. the fleas on the backs of the muskrat yeah. have a bacterium called Ypensis. Okay? And this is a natural disease that lives in the rats. It's bubonic plague. And periodically, it sort of explodes because of various different elements. Mm -hmm. So, the the bad the bugs in the fleas and the fleas on the rats, okay, <laughs> are trapped by Russian trappers yep. who take them down to Constantinople, Istanbul as it is today, of course, and they sell the fur. Now, fleas don't like dead bodies; they like nice warm blood. Mm -hmm. Now they'll stay on a dead body for a whileie, but once the Bugs and the fleas on the rats were in Constantinople on dead pelts. The rats went, oh, no, I don't really like this. And the fleas said, oh, we don't really like this. So what the fleas did, the fleas jumped off the dead pelts onto the brown rat and the black rat, but predominantly the brown rat. 
and brown rats like rice, they like wheat, they like grain, they like anything right. they can eat. And of course, Constantinople was the great entrepot, and that's where everything went. That's All the ships yep. went through yep. there. Yep. So, the bugs on the fleas on the rats jumped onto the ships and came all the way around Europe. <laughs> they arrived in Weymouth in early 1348 in the south mm-hmm. of England. So, you've got the troops sitting up in Selkirk Forest waiting to come down into England whilst this great pestilence starts to appear in England. And there are all sorts of stories. There are calves with two heads being born. There are meteor showers. It's the end of the world as we know it. And the disease starts to creep all the way up. So, like any battle, the, the chaps in Selkirk Forest think, we better send some scouts down, see how many English troops there are in the north of England. Hopefully they're all in France fighting the French. Mm-hmm. And they come back with reports that there aren't that many English troops and, and they've all got some odd disease. Uh-huh. This, this funny yeah. di- And they're all dying. So the Scots think and they go, nah, can't be right. Send down more scouts who come back with the same thing and they think, ah, good, serves the English right. And they invade England. But they actually have this prayer they say, God, St Mungo and St Andrew, protect us from the foul death of oh, the English. Here we go again. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They go down, they cross the border, they're going to places like Cornhill, they're going to places like Wark, they're going to places like Annick and Almouth, and they're coming across dead people, literally lying in the streets. And at first they just think, ha-ha, serves the English right, they're godless, look what God's done to them. But as they go down, more and more people are dead and dying and lying literally in the streets. And then, of course, the first Scottish soldier starts to cough and then the second and then the third. Mm -hmm. And then they turn and they flee and they run all the way back to the borders and they bring it into Scotland. And the borders gets the blame of that. The rest of Scotland blames the borders for bringing the great pestilence into Scotland. Okay. And so it has those social, cultural, political, economic consequences. Wonderful. Massively in this yeah. area. You, 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 you issued the disclaimer that you're not a scientist, but that's scientific enough for me. <laughs> and what, what, what we did avoid was there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. I don't know why she swallowed well, a fly. We almost got there. You have this chain reaction yep, going on. We almost on. got there. Yeah. Brilliant. So let's then, okay, so the borders people get the blame. Yep. Someone always has to get the blame, mm-hmm. I guess. So let's work through some of the impacts that it has on life here in the borders itself. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk us through that? Yeah. Well, the first thing is obviously people are dying. Now, the thing, and again, all the scientists can shout at me, was that the great pestilence wasn't one disease. It was variations of the one disease. Uh-huh. It was mutations. Here we go. Mutations, yeah. So bubonic plague can be the old-fashioned, we all know about bubonic plague, where you get these big purpley-black boils in the lymph glands, so in your, your groin or your armpits, and you can be dead within three days of getting it. Or you might get what was known as hemorrhagic bubonic plague, and you literally, all your blood vessels burst, and mm. you sort of bleed to death in a day. Yeah. Horrific. Or you get one that affects your lungs and you cough yourself to death and that can happen over a week. And that terrified people because people were used to disease. They knew about, you know, things like typhus and, and cholera and things like that. But this disease didn't act like that. So people were utterly terrified. Yeah. And so you've got a disease that you can't control. And whose fault is it? Is it is it God? Is God punishing us? Why is God punishing us? So people start to look for scapegoats. 
to blame. And so the social order is completely upset by this. So you've got, are there any Jews to blame? Not many Jews in Scotland at the time, so we can't blame them. Any gypsies? No, I've got no gypsies. Oh, well, it must be women then. Yeah. So the women, <laughs> you know, if in doubt. Yeah. So women got blamed for being promiscuous, and they had brought this on us. But the social order is completely upended, because most people on the borders are living in relatively small settlements of yes. about 150 yeah. people, okay? So you'll have one person who's a miller. You might have one person who's a blacksmith. You might have one woman who's a midwife. What if they die of this great pestilence? How can your settlement survive without that? It can't, which is why if you actually look at the borders, there are some very large tracts of land in the borders with no settlements in them, which makes no sense because this is good farming land. And yet, where are the villages? Where are the settlements that oh, should that's be there? Yeah. Yeah. And they don't survive. So then, of course, you think, and maybe if you're a young man and you think, oh, flip, everybody's got this horrible great pestles, think I'll run away to the next town. Well, you can't do that because you're not allowed to abandon your parents. That's, that's not what you do. And even if you pitch up in the next town, they might think that you've brought the, the, the plague with you and they will throw you out. Um, so, so people are very suspicious of outsiders. And again, you might say that that's got a bit of a lingering legacy in the borders. People yes. are not too sure mm -hmm. of you, you know, when you come to visit. There's a huge resentment up in Edinburgh. We've talked about this before. Edinburgh yes, decides yes. to close all the, the roads to England and it decides to close the road and Selkirk's on the wrong side of the map. And poor old Selkirk has to scream and bawl and shout. You have rich people, they've got their stores. They're fine. They can survive. Middling people, they can maybe get through. Poor people. If nobody's buying and selling in the marketplace because the market's closed, how do you eat? If if somebody thinks you brought the great pestilence and throws you out your house into the borders winter, how do you survive? So it has huge social implications. Yeah, yeah. The priest might die. We're all Catholic at this point. If the priest dies, who buries you? Yeah. Who gives you the last rites? Because people are dying. About a third of the population died. And people were not being buried in consecrated ground because nobody wanted to touch the dead bodies. So the whole social order is completely upended just in that that first six months of the Great Pestilence arriving within the borders. In terms of the the impact, you know, you know me, I'm not a big fan of numbers, but in the, in the borderlands here, about how many people succumb about a third of the population. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's not just, as you would imagine, people who are elderly or people who are ill or people who are very young. Because, it, the, because the disease has these different forms, young, fit men are dying. Young, yeah. fit women are dying. Yeah. And so something like, I think the border's population didn't recover for a good 10 to 15 years okay. after this. Yeah. And of course, where you have a situation where a, a village completely goes because major characters in the village have died, you get people drifting away from the borders where they can. Mostly they move across to the west, they go across to Dumfries and Galloway. Some manage to get up to Edinburgh and some go down south. So you get a drifting away of a young adult population, um, which again has implications for the demographics of the area for years to come. So the only thing we can really learn, I'm quoting someone else, I guess, from history, is that we don't learn anything from history. Um, this spread of disease through mixing mm -hmm. and matching. The Scots don't take that on board when the ill-fated but remarkably 
100 years ahead of its time, Darien Project comes along exactly, some centuries yes, later yes. and succumb to almost the same yeah. thing. And we yeah. are going to have to talk about Darien at some point. Yes, we are. Yes, we are, because I see it as a very central part of where we are today, in a yeah, sense, is absolutely. the Darien Project. Yeah. But that's that's yeah. another issue. And I mean, quarantine had been introduced. I mean, the Venetians would, would yeah, say to yeah. ships, you have to sit outside the lagoon for 40 days mm-hmm. before you come in, which was very, very sensible. But what do you do with quarantine when you just live in one little shack and there's you and there's mum and there's dad and there's six kids and there's granny and there's a cow and a pig at the other end? How, how do you quarantine? Mm. You were told to burn the bedding of anybody who had died of the disease. Yeah. But what do you do if that's all the bedding that you that's own? That's all you've got. Yeah. You were told to, to burn the clothing of those who died, but what if that was all, you know, just thinking, oh, well, actually, Granny's dress would be okay, or there's Granddad's boots, I could have a go at them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are basically, if you're on the breadline, you can't do this. And what do you do when your neighbours decide to quarantine you by locking you in your house and boarding up the front door so you can't get out? Mm-hmm. So quarantine seems like a good idea on paper, but it's not so great if you're at the, the bottom end of the pile. If you're at the top end of the pile, then you might go up to somewhere like uh, Sutra, where there's a hospital. But, you know, if you're at the bottom end of the pile, even if you're a monk, if you're in one of the big uh, abbeys, you're living in a dormitory with 20 other men. Yeah. The, yep. the disease just went through. And, of course, the monks were going out to give suckers to people, so they were carrying the disease back into the monastery. And that had a huge issue as well, because, mm-hmm. and talk about legacy... They all died. A lot of the the monks died. More than 30% of the population died. And after this was all over, there was very few clergy left in the borders. And the borders did what it did. Wrote up to Edinburgh and said, well, can we have some help? Because we need people to bury us and baptise us and marry us. And Edinburgh basically said, we've got our own problems. You know, sort yourselves out. And so the borders did sort themselves out. And they wrote to France. And the French came back. The French sent clergy over to the borders, whereas Edinburgh just went, now nah, you're on your own. Yeah, I've come across this at Melrose Abbey at the little museum. They have mm-hmm. this, 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 this help or aid from yeah. France that, that that came over. They came over, yeah. Any other significant religious impact as a result of there was the a pestilence? massive religious impact in that because later on about 50 to 100 years later you see the medieval church really having to get its acting gear because yeah. the problem is that if disease comes from god because we've been bad that's a given okay that's that's where your starting yeah. point is yeah. right so if i've been bad god's going to send me a disease or if my community's been bad god's going to send me a disease well that doesn't work why are all the monks dying mm-hmm. maybe the monks are bad you know, the, the minister, sorry, the priest at that time is telling me to do all these things, but I know that he's got a mistress on the side, and yet he hasn't been inflicted with the plague, but I have. Or why are all the monks dying if they're all so very good? You know, this, this didn't bode well. Mm-hmm. And the Pope decides to go to Avignon and sit in a huge hall between four fires that were kept going day and night and would only receive messages that were handed to him that had gone through the flames and were handed to him on the end of a long stick. We're thinking, well, if the Pope's feared of this disease, what chance have I got? Mm -hmm. I thought he was Christ on earth. I thought the church was all-powerful. Why is it not saving me? Why is it not stopping us? I've gone to my prayers. The church is saying this is because of sin, but I've not been sinful. 
Why has my two-year-old baby died? Yep, my two-year-old yep, baby's yep. done nothing. And so actually there are a few people looking at the church thinking, nah, no, you're not on. You can't be our great leaders anymore. Because remember, we're still semi-feudal here. You've got the king and the lords. They're supposed to physically take care of you. The church is supposed to take care of your soul. And as a peasant, you're supposed to work the lands. Well, the church isn't taking care of the soul. It's not protecting me from sin. So I'm not very sure if I'm actually very enamoured of them. And so, yeah, there's there's very much a lessening of respect for the church at that time. Okay, okay. I'm sometimes, um, <laughs> I'm not reticent about asking you about the church. <laughs> well, this is, the, this is the Roman Catholic Church at this yeah, point. I'm not yeah, having to go to the Catholic not, Scotland. Church it doesn't exist yet. at this moment. <laughs> but actually, there are some people who say that given the events that happened, and of course it happened right the way across Europe, mm. The the Roman Catholic Church had real problems thereafter. They often, about, as I say, 50 to 100 years after that, they start to bring in the cult of Mary because Mary protects you from yes, disease. Yeah. And you get a lot more of Marian worship coming in afterwards. Yeah. Um, and you get a lot more of trying to get people to say, well, we can save you, we can save your souls. But, of course, the way they do it leads to the sale of indulgences, which then leads to Martin Luther King, eh, yeah. Martin Luther, sorry, which then leads to the, the Reformation. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 well put together, yeah. I think. Yeah. What about economic impact? You've mentioned that, that as, as we've seen before, the, the Selkirk and the other areas of the borders, Edinburgh kind of just says, <laughs> you're not part of us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. What what are some of the major economic impacts? There's a real problem. First of all, all markets are closed, yeah. so people can't buy and sell. Now, if you've just brought in your harvest and you can't sell it, what do you do with it? There's only so much you can eat yourself. It spoils, so you lose money. So you might have money to see you over the winter, but are you going to have money to see you over the next winter? Because it'll last for a fair few years. Mm -hmm. You have cattle that normally would be slaughtered in the autumn and the meat salted and sold at market, that doesn't happen. So yeah. now you've got cattle that you've got to care for over the over the winter. Can you do that? Can you afford to do that? So at the top end you've got people who have got too much stuff if you like. They've got they've got, you know, silos, barns full of, of cattle and grain and all sorts of things that they can't sell at market, but they can't get any money in. And then at the bottom end, you've got the peasants who are not being paid because the master hasn't been paid because he hasn't been able to sell his harvest. So it has this trickle down, to use an old economic term. Yeah, people yeah. are really, really toiling. And people who are very much at the bottom end of the, of the pile, they're absolutely dying in their droves. People like beggars, for example. Now, the Christian duty was to give a beggar arms. That was something that you did. It was your Christian duty to do so. Yes. So a beggar would go, you would get your beggar's badge, which said, you know, I'm an honest guy, but I'm just down on my luck. I need help. And you would go to the marketplace. You'd sell your corn or you sell your cattle and you give money to the beggar. But you're not in the marketplace. So you're not giving any money. So mm. what do they do? They have got nothing. They can't pay their rent. They can't buy food. They die of starvation. And this is the interesting thing about, you know, who dies of what disease. Do they die of the great pestilence or do they die of starvation or exposure because they're out in a cold borders winter right. as a result of the great pestilence? It's the old off of from. Exactly. <laughs> you also have the local prostitutes. Now, the local prostitutes were, you know, generous young ladies who worked the marketplace mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they earned their living. But, of course, nobody's going to market anymore. 
And these are young ladies who, again, are on the edge. They may have other diseases, obviously, things like the Spanish pox. Um, so they're, they're not healthy to start with. Yep. And then again, no food uh, or no shelter or they maybe catch the Great Plague. There are some interesting letters about uh, economics. There's one letter for it's an Edinburgh merchant and he's writing to his son down in the borders. And it is one of these awful, awful letters that you just think, oh, really? But it's great for a historian. He's basically writing to his son and he's saying that if you must needs of a market night go with a girl, do not bother with a feather bed, go for a tupney upright. <laughs> and that is just as disgusting as it sounds. He's basically saying don't pay, you know, 10 groats yep. to go into the girl's back bedroom, just have her up against a wall. So even those prostitutes who were still managing just to make a living. A tupney upright. A tupney upright. That's a knee trembler in today's parlance. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and these women were earning pennies. And so a lot of them, again, are dying. So at the bottom end, economically. But you're also not trading up with Edinburgh. You're not trading with, with uh, Berwick-on-Tweed. So people are having to pull on their savings. And again, this has an effect because this lasts mm. for a good two or three years, then goes away, comes back, goes away, comes back. And there are a lot of people who have a bit of money who actually leave if they can. So when the worst of the Great Pestilence is over, they up sticks and go. Some of them go to Edinburgh, some of them go down to London. So, But again, they're pulling wealth out of the area. You get farms being abandoned. You get economic stagnation for a good 10 to 15 years after the Great Pestilence has gone. And it really affects the area. Uh -huh. You've also got things like Edinburgh is reliant on Midlothian and the borders for its food supply. Yeah. And, of course, they'd closed their city gates. Nobody from the borders could get up there. And if you were in Edinburgh with a borders accent, the chances are you're going to get stoned or you're going to get drowned in the North Another Norwalk. scapegoat, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> But eventually, after sort of a year of this or 18 months of this, the population in Edinburgh starts to get a bit hungry and the Edinburgh mob is not to be trifled with. And so what the, the city fathers did was they turned around and they said, go down to the borders and get mm. some food from the borders. And it's OK, you don't really need to bother paying if you don't have to. And so just as the borders is trying to get itself back on its feet... They come down from Edinburgh and they steal anything they can lay their hands on yeah. to feed the Edinburgh population. And so, again, there's antagonism between Edinburgh and the borders, but again, the borders gets that economic hit at that point. Okay, great. I, I, and, and Not great in any, in any way whatsoever, but thank you for that. Have you missed out any other obvious scapegoats? <laughs> well, when we weren't blaming women, we had occasion to blame children uh -huh. uh, for not obeying their parents. Um, but it was actually mostly thought that this was the end of days. That this, I mean, the church, as usual, got its knickers in a knot and decided that this was the devil and the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair to them, there was pestilence and there was famine and there was death and there was war. So, you know, you can see that's that's where it's going. Um, lots of people got blamed. Very few people in Scotland, other than Scottish women, got blamed simply because they weren't here to blame. Um, in England, there was a bit of a Jewish population. They got blamed. Yeah. They often got shoved down wells and the wells boarded up. Um, it was one of these bizarre things where some of the Jews that were living in England in villages and towns, they weren't allowed to use the same water supply as the local population. Mm -hmm. 
But of course, if you build a separate well, if you have a separate water supply and you have a cleaner water supply, the chances are you're not going to catch disease. And so they would say things like, ah, look, see those Jews, they don't die. Ha, it must be them. They must have brought it here. Yeah, so well done. The yep, Jews, yep, yep, unfortunately, yep. because they weren't allowed to use the town's water supply, they then get blamed and shoved down wells, which is why they're found down wells. Frequently the bodies were shoved down there. Um, most countries blame the next country over, which is, you know, the usual domino effect. So in Scotland, it was England's fault. In England, it was France's fault, although the English and the French blame each other for everything. Uh, the Spaniards were blamed. The Italians were blamed. Uh, Constantinople, strangely, didn't get too much of a blame, probably because Constantinople was riddled with it and was dealing with its own issues at the time. Um, but most countries blamed each other. Yeah. Interestingly, the other main outbreak of the... Sorry, the Great Pestilence, get it right, in Scotland was up in Aberdeen and that came across from Norway, Mm -hmm. uh, which which was quite curious. Because, of course, what happened in the borders was, as I say, the men ran across the border and then they couldn't get any further north because they weren't allowed to. They couldn't pass Edinburgh. They could go across a little bit into Dumfries and Galloway. They could maybe get up a little bit, but they didn't actually get up to the Highlands and Islands. So the Highlands and Islands doesn't really have any great pestilence. The Borders has the greatest bit, but that means that the Borders gets the blame for it. So it's always dumped on the Borders and Borders women for being promiscuous. Apparently women would wear their skirts so tight you could see the crack of their earth. (laughs) Um, Why anybody was looking at women's arses is a completely other matter, but there you go. What changes? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when does, um, as we are probably about to come to an end of this installment of a podcast, when does all of this end? Because you, you gave the impression at the start that we get repeating waves. Yes. So the main, the main Great Pestilence pitches up in 1348 and it lasts until about 1351, 52. Mm-hmm. And then, so that, that's it. But then it comes back about 10 years thereafter. Oh, really? Right. right. And then it comes back about 20-odd years thereafter. And the problem is that, of course, you're just starting to get on your feet after 10 years. You're just starting to repopulate when it comes back. The other thing we haven't mentioned, of course, is the Great Moraine. Now, the Great Moraine, and I don't know what this was, but it was an animal illness. Right in the middle of the Great Pestilence, there was a Great Moraine in the borders. It's a sort of catch-all name for a disease that affects cattle and sheep. So you're halfway through the Great Pestilence, yeah. everybody's dying, there's there's markets closed down, there's, there's show, you know, roads are closed down, everybody's dying, there's no priest to bury and all the rest of it, and all of a sudden the animals start to sicken and die. Now some people said it might have been anthrax, but we're not sure, but whatever it was, yeah. it meant that that was the last straw for a lot of folk in wow. the borders, and that's when you get more abandoned land. But again, that has a knock-on effect, because what you then get is you get people in berwick tweed up in Edinburgh and various places saying, oh, I'm not quite sure if I want to buy cattle and sheep from the borders, because they had that disease that's, as well. The, the, this is fascinating, because what the, if I understand what you're telling me, Unlike the forced clearances in the Highlands, what we have down here are accidental clearances yes. that come as a result of yes. the pestilence. Yes. Yeah. Now, I mean, there were lowland clearances in a later century. We can yeah. talk about but that on the podcast. At, yeah, but at yeah. this time, because you just cannot survive. If yeah. there is no miller in your village, yeah. 
if there is no blacksmith in your village, your village cannot cannot survive. If you go to other areas of Scotland or across rural Europe, if you look at it, yeah. you will have villages that are within a day's worth of walk of each other. Of each other, yeah. And that's what you do. So your village might be the village where there's a really good baker and the next village over might have a really good blacksmith or whatever. And you can walk. It's as far as a man can plough in a day sort of type thing. And that's where you're at. Now, some of the villages don't exist anymore, obviously, and towns have grown up. But when you get large areas with no settlements or no sign of any settlements, you can bet that's an area where the Black Death, the Black Death, the Great Pestilence, the Great Plague has hit very I have much never so. thought of it that way before as I've travelled throughout the borderlands and think, oh, mm. when is the next town or village? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. That makes absolutely uh, perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, so you can see where it goes. And of course, the other thing about this, these varieties of the bubonic plague is that they, did, they were indiscriminate. That was what terrified people. If you, if you get cholera or typhus, you know how the disease works, you know how people yeah. die. People were dying in different ways. Some towns, 80% of the population would die. The next town over, only 10%. And that, that confused it's people and frightened yeah. people yeah. Yeah. and upset people economically because if, if 20% of every village is going to die, you can sort of organise yourself around that. But if it's 20% in one village and 80% in another, you cannot organise around that. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot put structures in place to help that. So that was what, again... And the level of fear, because... We can say, oh, well, it finished round about 1351. People who were living through the Great Pestilence didn't know when it was going to stop because yep. it didn't appear to stop. It, it tailed off a little bit in the winter but came back with a vengeance in the spring. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was utterly devastating and for a long, long time people were genuinely, they were scared of outsiders and that was anybody out with their own village. Mm. I'm not sure we've ever escaped that logic because it, it linguistically what fascinated me when the current pandemic started was this rush by many people to call something the Kent variant or you know the people obsessed yeah. over wet markets in Wuhan and it yeah. seemed vitally important yeah. that rather than deal with this we had to understand where it all come from where yeah. it came from and, and point the finger at someone you know it's someone's fault it's always I someone I else's suppose fault. If you're very scared of something like a disease and you don't have a scientific head and you don't understand it, if you can label it, mm -hmm. you, you, it gives you a tiny little level of control to say it's the Kent variant mm -hmm. or it's the whatever it is. And that yeah. gives you that tiny little bit. Of, you can label it. You can, you can see it then. You can identify it and you can sort of keep it away from you because I'm not in Kent. You know, or if it was, yeah. if it's the Black Death, if it's the Great Pestilence in the borders, I'm not in the borders, I'm in Glasgow, or I'm not in the borders, I'm in Stirling, and it allows you a, a modicum of, of relief, if you like, from the I fear. agree up to a point, but in, in a time where, you know, what's become, I don't know, people, what is wrong with the variant that was first identified in Kent? What, what is actually wrong with Exactly. Well, yeah, that? that's true. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting one, and the language, the language that was used during the Great Pestilence was very much apocalyptic language. I mean, everybody was going to die, apparently. Um, you know, the graves were going to open and the, and the, the, the dead would rise again. Um, which this actually, is before Michael Jackson. Uh, yeah, and, and unfortunately, in a couple of situations, that actually happened. Um, because so many people... I'm sorry, but so many people were dying... 
and there were so few people left to bury them and so few people willing to bury them <laughs> that what was happening was people were being chucked into shallow graves. Uh -huh. And not to be too gruesome, you did say this wouldn't be a magical episode, when bodies <laughs> decompose, there are gases that appear in the body yeah. and bodies can move and body parts can be seen if you've only buried somebody in a shallow grave. Yeah. So you think that it's the end of time and that, you know, the dead are going to rise again and you walk past where you've just buried <laughs> Granny and all yeah. of a sudden her hand's sticking out the ground. I feel a uh, saved, saved by the bell moment you know? coming. <laughs> so, yes, and of course, like all these things, the more scared you are, the more the stories are believed. Yeah. And the more the stories are believed, the more they're exaggerated, and the more they're exaggerated, the more they're told. Yeah. 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 Now, before we finish, I'd like to go back to something you said at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the term Black Death comes in many centuries later. Yeah. What's the story behind that? What was the convenience in? Because I know it as the Black Death. In the 17th century, there's an outbreak of bubonic plague. Well, there uh -huh. are two outbreaks of bubonic plague. Again, which is blamed on sin. Mm -hmm. um, but it tends to be the bubonic plague in that form where you have the black, the purpley black bubos, these, okay, these boils right, that right. appear. Yep. And so it's known as the Black Death. And then people realise it is predominantly the same disease as it happened in the earlier century. So that's why we get this name of the Black Death. So it comes in the 17th century, but the major part of the disease or the disease that caused the most deaths happened in the earlier century. So that's why the name gets flipped over. And I think finally, how did the clever people of the time go about curing this? Were they putting on these big masks with well, the long noses? Well, in the 17th century or the 14th? In the, fourth, in in the 14th. the 14th century, yes, you had masks on, but it was thought that it came through the air. Okay. And so you would ring church bells because that would dissipate it's it. entirely logical. Yeah. You would light fire. <laughs> that would keep it away. Well, the Pope was sitting in between fires. Yes. Um, you would use strong pomanders and herbs. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the major use of anything at that time was leeches. If in doubt, bring on the leeches. Good old leeches, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which, if you've got something like hemorrhagic uh, bubonic plague, is really not a good idea. Not good. Um, you would use leeches to lance boils, uh -huh. so that would spread it further. So that was always a good idea. Um, fresh air is a good idea. Um, there's the great Decameron book written by Boccaccio. Yeah. Um, and that set out where people would go up into those. If you were rich enough, basically you ran away. You went somewhere away from the great populace who were going to breathe on you. The great unwashed was basically the idea. The doctors tried their best, but everything they did at the time actually just made it a bit worse to be honest. Yeah. Um, every quack cure you could think of under the sun. Drink your urine. Um, drink um, things boiled up with toads in them. You know, every quack cure was on the go that people swore by. And there were people making a lot of money out of it. But they tended to die themselves because they were treating patients. Yeah. It tended to be a case of if you were rich enough, run away. If you were poor, hunker down and, and were, hopefully try and... There were a few making a lot of money out of it. I... As ever happens. saw a documentary last night, which was uh, claiming that this very small percentage of rich people have got much, much, much richer <laughs> as a result of this pandemic. Yes, So I'm I guess sure. nothing much does change. Sure. Well, again, there were people who 
as I say, they left their estates in the borders and disappeared off mm. and then reappeared. And somehow they never seemed to pay the back wages for the two or three years of the people who'd still been working the land while they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still managed to collect the two or three years back rent they were yeah, due. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. it's it's the same old, same old. Oh, I'm tempted to go down the political path <laughs> here, but I think I, I, I don't think I will. Mary, thanks a lot. That 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 That's fascinating. And I've learned a lot more about the impact that the, I will never say Black Death again, <laughs> had on the, the, this area of the borders. Before we finish, can I just remind listeners that although this podcast is entirely free to listen to, it is not entirely free to produce. And so if anyone would like to visit our website and make a small donation, we would be eternally grateful for that fact. Thank you very much, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Mary, thank you. Thank you, Doug.